Welcome to West Quasset Chapel's podcast. For more information, visit us online at westquassettchapel.com. Good morning again. Isaiah chapter 35 is where I would invite you to turn in your Bibles. It's page 508, 508 in the church Bibles. And we're going to read the whole, or I'm going to read the whole chapter, and you're going to listen. And once again, it's good, it's good to see you here this morning. The, the subheading in the NIV, Joy of the Redeemed. All right. Verse 1. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then, this is beautiful, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They, <laughs> they will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransom of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. I mean, I get goosebumps easy, but when you read that, and I read that, I can't help. That is, that is tremendous. It is a, let me just get right to it. It is a picture of our salvation and, and it is a picture of the, just the, the burst of goodness that comes in our salvation immediately, immediately. So let's pray and ask God for his help. Father, all that is needed at this moment for both the listener and the speaker, you alone can supply. The more feeble we are, God, the more fit we are to be used and to be helped. But you, you know, and I've said this time and time again to you, God, our feebleness can scare us. So in deep humility, with a particular awareness of, of need that, that, that sometimes is painful, we ask for your help. We want to understand this glorious chapter and live in light of its truth. So we would just ask you to have mercy on us and open the eyes of our heart and give us deep joy that's already ours by rights because of Jesus. 
as we pray in his name. Amen. Well, it's been said three times this Sunday morning, December 18th. Our Advent theme is joy. Now, it's correct to say that happiness and joy are not exactly the same. Happiness comes from the comfort of having or receiving the things that you want and need. But happiness is not bad. Sometimes the whole happiness and joy makes happiness look like it's terrible. No, happiness is not bad. Having the things you want and need is good. Because for the Christian, they are gifts from God. And Christian, God is very much concerned with your happiness. He is your father. And what father worth their salt is not very concerned, very much concerned with the happiness of their children. I mean, even as I think about it now, whenever our children seem unhappy, fatherly instincts can stick, kick in and say, what is wrong? What can I do to help the wrong? However, as good as happiness is, happiness can be lost. So a long time ago, C.S. Lewis wrote on the death of his mother, explaining his thoughts before he was converted. Okay, this is what he says. With my mother's death, all that settled happiness, all that was tranquil and reliable disappeared from my life. There was, there was to be no more fun, many pleasures gone, many stabs of joy, but, but no more of the old security. His old security was his mother. No more of the old security. It was sea and islands now, the great continent, his mother, what a way to honor your mother. The great continent had sunk like Atlantis. See, that is profound, and it tells you how powerful happiness really is. But here's the good news. Joy is far deeper than happiness. Joy comes with com- joy comes the deepest security. Joy is the fuel for our deepest compassions and our deepest passions And joy is the deepest assurance that we all have as Christians the only thing that really matters. A Savior. Jesus Christ. To rest in. So I promise you, if you're here this morning and you figure most things or everything in your life through your own mind and through your own efforts, you will have very little joy. Still, I think everyone in this room, even as I say that, is honest enough and compassionate enough to say that there's some Christmas seasons and there's some parts of life that are not joyful for the Christian. Whether it's people that you love who have left this earth or people you love who have left your life, the, the, the deep pain of any kind of broken relationships, even if it's just temporary, the deep pain of some kind of farewell, the, this, there's the struggle with fear, the struggle when life turns south. There is the burden that many people have of chronic suffering and chronic pain, sickness. And then there's just the plain old battle of of indwelling sin. So it's not uncommon for the Christian to end a year like this on a weary and joyless note. Now, I want you to know that it doesn't make you less Christian. And it certainly doesn't make you immature. But it's just honest to say that on this side of heaven, in these bodies, joy can escape us, even for the best of us. My soul is filled with sorrow. Stay with me. Do you know who said that? That was Jesus. 
to Peter, James, and John in the garden before his death. So yes, a Christian should know more joy than anyone else because we know what it's like not to experience joy. And we've taken the journey repeatedly to receive it once again. Okay, so in light of all that, there's a question. And the question is essentially this. What word does Jesus give? What word does Christ put forward to those of us where joy is a distant thing? Okay? What word does Christ put forward to those of us where joy is a distant thing? Or if you're just honest, deep in your heart, you're like, yeah, I rarely have it. Well, well, there's an answer. Verse 10, do you see it? If your Bible's open, it's a promise. It's in the Old Testament. And remember the good news that Jesus said in Luke 24 and also in John 5, that when you look at your Old Testament, it's all about him, Jesus. It's about his salvation. And the promise is big. Do you see it there? It's the promise of everlasting joy. Now, before we get to the points, let's just think about that phrase, everlasting joy, all right? If you didn't know who promised it, you, know, you might be tempted to think that that came from a mind of a child, right? That's Willy Wonka and the everlasting gobstopper. You know, it, that's a child being childish, everlasting joy. You know, and in my mind, when I was writing out my sermon, I was like, I pictured a parent, not any of you, but I pictured a parent saying, come on. <laughs> you know what? Everlasting joy. You go to your room, you make your bed, you drink water and not Coke, and, and you know what? Clean your room twice. <laughs> See if you enjoy that everlasting joy. We know how that is. We know how one word, one sentence can ruin a situation and just suck out the joy. But apparently to God, to God, joy is a serious business. And everlasting joy is coming. And it can't come soon enough. But here's the thing. We live in the now. And the now is the not yet. But when the not yet comes, it's going to be forever. Everlasting joy is coming. We have joy now. We know that. Thank God. But, but in our frailty, it's not everlasting. That's honest. We have taste of it. Sometimes we have bits and pieces of it. Sometimes we get big chunks of it and even long seasons of joy. And it's, en- it's enough to, to want joy to last forever. But we wait. But even, even the journey of waiting, and I just want to tell you, this is experiential knowledge coming. Like, this is my life experience. Even the joy of waiting can be joyful, and it can be beautiful. In 2010, Mumford & Sons came out with an awesome album. There's, there's, the title is Sigh No More. A song on it is Sigh No More, hence the title. And the title is rooted from a play from Shakespeare's Much To Do About Nothing, and the whole thought and bent of the, of the album is to soothe people. And I think it even says on the cover, not on the cover, but somewhere in the, in the um, intro to the album, that not all conclusions are final. <laughs> Isn't that great? Not all conclusions are final. So the whole playlist, if you, if you listen to the songs, it's peppered with theology, peppered with Bible thoughts, themes, and it captures the longing that the title recommends, Sigh No More. Here's just one line from the song itself, Sigh No More. Serve God, love me, and mend. This is not the end. Live unbruised. We are friends. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
sigh no more, no more. And you see, what we're going to learn from Isaiah 35 is there can be no meaningful, lasting joy, whether it's our Advent celebrations or just the dailiness of life, that isn't gospel-centered, that isn't centered on Jesus, tied completely to Jesus, and understood and received as a gracious gift from God. And when I say that, you know, I want to tell you that right now we're on the wrong side of the door, if you would. But on the other side of the door, heaven, what I just said, if you had any hesitation when I said gospel-centered joy or everything centered on Jesus, on the other side of the door, any hesitation will just vanish. I mean, think with me. One of the first things that we learn about Jesus and the Christmas story from the angels, remember, to the shepherds, this is Luke's gospel, I bring you good news of not just joy, but great joy. A Savior's been born. An angel of the Lord to Joseph. Joseph, you're to give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And do the math. Great joy in the mind of God means salvation. Sins dealt with decisively. That's the melody line of the gospel, the very word of God. So salvation is rest. And there can be no everlasting joy without peaceful and guaranteed rest. And that's what Isaiah 35 promises. And that takes us to our first point. Number one, it's in your worship folders. You'll see them in the back, the the picture that he gives. So if you just take a moment and look at chapter 34, before 35, there's this massive prediction of the overthrow of Edom being under the judgment of God. So Edom was, was the neighbor of Israel and Judah to the southeast, and they were relentlessly hostile to God and, and therefore to the people of God. And its judgment, verse 34, as you can see this, is symbolic of all the nations. So you read it, and it kind of kind of comes like with a New Testament Romans um, chapter three: No one is righteous, no, not one. So God is going to judge all the nations, especially Edom. Edom kind of represents the 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 um, fickleness and the the anger of the people towards God. And if you read thirty four and you get a sense of the finality of God's judgment, then you'd be right. And here's why. Because the world can never be put to right, and there can never be an era of perpetual peace and and everlasting joy. That can never be an unstoppable reality without two things. Number one, the total destruction of evil in the world, and the total destruction in the same way of, of wicked people in the world, but also a people who are ransomed, right? Because that's what it says in 34. So ransomed people are not people who were good that got better. They were wicked, but were ransomed. And in that ransom made, declared righteous, declared not wicked, as God himself pays their debt of sin. And see, if you read 34 and as we go on to 35, if you forget that, you spoil everything. Because it can't be a them against us. It's an everyone against God. But God in his mercy saves and ransoms 
his people. Therefore, you leave 34 and you move into 35 and it turns from judgment to thank God's salvation. From the judgment of the nations to the salvation of God's chosen people. You want to say election? I'll let you say it this morning. And so the first thing I want you to notice is that in 35, there's five pictures of salvation. The, the first one will take a little longer, but we'll move through the other, the other four swiftly, as swiftly as I can. Now, what, you, what I want you to have in kind of like in your mind is there's this flat screen. And there's all these images, these pictures that God is putting forward in almost rapid succession. The first one is a desert. That's the very first phrase of 35. Verse 1, the desert and the parched land will be glad. And, and, and Israel knew all about deserts. For 40 years, their ancestors would wander in the Negev, the south, the, the, the south of the Dead Sea in the desert. And after their entry into the promised land, the, the, the desert essentially surrounded all of them, north, south, east, west. But now God personifies the desert. Verse 1, the desert rejoices and blossoms, shouting for joy. Now you know, and I know that only in cartoons can desert do that. <laughs> but the point is, God is giving a, a, a picture of salvation for what was dry and dead is now given life. So it was dead and now living again, or now life given. That's a very New Testament picture about salvation, is it not? Ephesians uh, 2, Colossians 2, 1 and 2, where we were as dead as the desert and our sin all dried up and lifeless, but God made us alive. Verse 1b, like a crocus, which is a lovely purple flower, it will not just bloom, look at the text there, but burst into bloom. That's a picture of instant, not gradual, but instant change. And so you think about all the great gifts of salvation, our union with Christ instantly, our adoption instantly, promises which are all ours in Christ instantly, justification, thank God, instantly, filled with his spirit, filled with his abiding presence, sin's power instantly removed, penalty removed, the promise of eternal life, no sting in death, that is inherently in us. And all of it just burst into our life in the exact moment of our salvation. So there's no waiting around, right? There, there, there are no steps. They're, they're not like the retail stores do, that, which is kind of fun. You, you know how they do? You, you buy stuff and you get points and you get so many points you can get free stuff. I like that. And you can get receipts and all that. Yeah, you, if you earn enough, you can get the goods, right? No. We're talking about the gospel here. God bled for your sin. God bled for your sin. Verse 2, the glory of Lebanon will be given to the desert. And if you know anything about your Old Testament, Lebanon, what was famous about it, they had lush forests, huge trees. So trees begin to grow in the desert. Now that doesn't happen. So by, by providential chance, providential chance, does that make sense? But by God's providence, I was, I've been reading this book and I'm 12 pages away from finishing it. And it's called The World in a Grain, The Story of Sand and How It Transformed Civilization. And what I was reading yesterday afternoon was one, one example, the nation of China. Believe it or not, they have lots of desert land in China. And so they took on this green initiative and they're planting trees in the deserts by the thousands. And what they're trying to do is make the desert livable and lush. They want to help the environment. 
and they want to reduce like sandstorms, which cause a whole lot of problems for the people in the area. And so what they did was they planted trees. But here's the thing. It's not working really well. They need water. Can we just hold that in your mind just for a minute? We're going to get to that. But here is another picture of salvation. How can life come to dead things? God's power, God's love, coupled with God's power. And there's, you know, there's no need for any redos or replants, is what, which is what the nation of China is having to do. They're having to replant and redo everything. And then verse 2b, we're still in the desert now, takes us to the west coast of the Mediterranean Sea, Carmel and Sharon. That, right now, that is, that is like beautiful beachfront property. And if you would, just picture in your mind, God's going to take all that beauty. He's going to drop it in the desert. That is a picture of our salvation. So what you have in this is all these gifts given to the desert so that the desert is no longer a desert. It's no longer a wilderness. It's, it's better than any of those one gifts standing by itself, standing alone, meaning it's better than the Lebanon forest. It's better than the crocus. It's better than the French property of Carmen and Sharon. Verse 2b, you see it there? The glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. It's revealed in the picture here. It is the complete transformation of desert and the wilderness to, if you would, paradise. Now you take heart, Christian. If you are a Christian, the glory of the Lord, and I hope this means something to you, the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God is upon you. In a very real sense, then, you are glowing. Now, I know you don't feel like you're glowing. I understand. But this is what you are. Don't let the world, don't let the evil one, and don't let yourself take that truth away from you. Because what was dead and could not self-generate, you get the idea, self-generate? had to be regenerated, and the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God has done that. Has done that. All right. That's the first picture. Second picture is a crowd of people in a state of panic. Verse 4, look at that. It says, to those whose hearts are racing. That, that's an actual literal translation. To those with fearful hearts. This is like an anxiety attack. Most of us in this room will be honest enough to know that, say that we've done it. We've been there. Our hearts are racing and, and the panic comes. We're not told exactly who these people are, but it's a fam very familiar picture to the human condition. Verse 3, they are weak, feeble hands, their knees are knocking, they are, are afraid, their hearts are racing. Every, everything about them is giving away to fear. But once again, you have this magnificent, instant transformation. God speaks. You see it there? Bids them to strengthen their feeble hands. Steady the knees. Be strong. Your God will come. In fact, what God, what God is telling Isaiah are the very same words that God said to Joshua before God's people moved into the promised land. Remember Joshua 1? I mean, every Christian calendar probably has this verse on it. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. And so why should they not be afraid? Well, look at verses 4 and 5. Again, it's a picture of salvation. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. That's salvation. Now, let's just think about it for a minute. Okay, he's going to come and save us. 
with vengeance and with divine retribution, what does that mean? Well, there are things in this world, there are things about us, if you would, our sin, and there's things about the kingdom of evil that, that makes us afraid. And so vengeance must come, divine retribution on those things, the flesh, the world, and the devil, that want to hurt you and want you afraid. But you see, God is the only one qualified to execute these judgments on his enemies. Okay? We're not. He is. Therefore, vengeance, revenge, is strictly God's prerogative. You know, it, I was just like, to me, that's great. Listen to your Bible. Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will replay, says the Lord. Now, this is what that means. Calculated revenge. Calculated vengeance by human beings is a deadly sin. Okay? A deadly sin. Someone hurts us. We just, yeah. we just, we want to do this and then this and then this and then this so that we can hurt them back. That's a sin. God will come, verse 4, with salvation. God will come to save you. All right, picture number one, desert becomes a paradise. Picture number two, the feeble are saved and fears are crushed by God. Picture number three, another group of people suffering from major physical disabilities. Verses five and six, some were blind and unable to see. Some were deaf and unable to hear. Some were lame and could not walk. And others were mute and could not shout for joy. And loved ones, that is another picture of the brokenness of our world as a result of sin. Human beings were meant to flourish. But we come into this world blind to God's glory, deaf to God's word, unable to walk in his ways. It's called the effects of original sin. And shout for joy, the glory of our God, that's not on our lips. Not yet. Isaiah 42 says almost the exact same thing. I'm just going to quote it to you. Who is blind but my servant and deaf like the messengers I send? Who is blind like the one in covenant with me? Blind like the servant of the Lord. You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you don't listen. And it goes on to say, you can't save yourselves, but do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You see, there it is. Another picture of totally, completely God's work. Verse 5, then the eyes of the blind will be opened. And the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The, the lame will leap like a deer. And, and the mute tongue shouts for joy. There's just, there's just great buoyancy of life from God. Granted in salvation. Because God, one day God will restore to every disabled person all of their lost capacities. Okay, so that could mean that could be figuratively, we should take it like that. It could be literally now, as in healing, or literally on the last day where the resurrected bodies are ours and, and where no disabilities will ever exist again. Again. Picture number four, we're back in the desert. But this is a little different. This is the backstory. Okay, how does a desert How's it going to flourish? Verse 6, do you see there? Water. Water gushes forward. 
The Hebrew word, Hebrew word translated gush is, is a real visual word. Just picture this in your mind. Of, of pent-up water bursting through the, opposition, uh, the opposition of all that it obstructed, it's flowing through. You know, you, massive wall, water pent up, and all of a sudden the wall goes down and the water comes in. Suddenly, that's the idea. Water in the desert, streams in the desert. Verse 7, burning sand will become a pool, and the ground will thirst no more. So remember the book I said, The World of the Grain? The story of sand and how it transformed civilization? What they kept saying is the reason why China and other nations can't really help a desert not be a desert. I mean, parts of it, yeah. But they can't maintain what they do. They always have to replant trees. There's never enough water, and they can't keep things growing. Now, you can go, and it'll look like they maintain it. But it's the difference between works and grace. When this happens, Isaiah 35 happens, there'll be no more redos. They literally have to go back and replant and bring in water and do it just so that it'll be maintained. Loved ones, God has always, God has always had a well-watered people. He did it in the wilderness. Remember Jesus, he, he took up that image in John, I think it's John 7, where he promises you'll never thirst again. In John 4, for sure. Right? This is whoever believes in me, this is Jesus. As the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And this picture that John gives us, he, he kind of quantifies with the fact that that is the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. And not just life, but life that moves us towards eternal life. And then look at verse 7b. Grass will grow and reeds and papyrus will grow in the desert. Okay, now let's just, if you were like studying that, you would go, okay, question. Does reed, grass, reeds, and papyrus, do they need a whole lot of water to be able to exist? According to the spruce.com, themastersclass.com, and this little green book that I have um, hidden away, they need lots and lots of water. And they will have it. Whatever they need to grow, to live forever and ever, they're going to have it. That's another picture of our salvation. Finally, then, is a picture of a highway. But here's the thing. It's a highway in the desert. Okay, so why that picture? Okay, as a picture that God gives salvation, a highway in the desert. Well, this is what you need to know. In that time, in that place, there was always great danger when you would travel through the desert. And one of the things that could happen is you would be on your way to a certain place, and there were kind of like trails that would had been footed out, if you would, or roads that were kind of like, not really roads, but enough people had gone through them so that you followed them to get to the place you wanted to go. But when a sandstorm would happen, when the winds would blow like fiercely, guess what you lost? You lost your sign to guide you, to, to, to get you to the place you needed to go. So in essence, you were lost. And now the promise is, that you'll never be lost again. <laughs> I once was lost in darkest night, thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life led me to the grave. But as I ran my hellbound right race and differed to the cross, 
you looked upon my helpless state and then you led me to the cross. Salvation. Verse 8, a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. Now let's be careful there. Okay, first, the causeway, highway, easy visibility. No, no chance of anything disappearing when you're from the sight. You get on the way and you're on the way. I am the way, right? But let's be careful because you see that word holiness there? It's the Hebrew word Kadesh. And that word is important because it means a consecrated thing. Something that was dedicated. Something that was set apart. Something that was declared holy. Declared holy, which means the people on that highway who are walking the way of holiness, they're not there because of their own personal effort. They are not there because there was something great about them and God said, oh, look how holy they are. They were made holy. They were declared holy instantly. And therefore, they are holy. So it's not that the highway, the way of holiness is only for holy people or holy enough people. That's better. It is that road is for those who've been set apart, consecrated, declared holy. And that is the good news. That is the gospel. Because the righteousness that God requires He gives. That's why the righteous live by faith. Right? That's why the righteous live by faith. Oh, they do righteous things. But they don't live by those things. They live by faith. So there's more. Verse 8 and following. And the high will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go out about it. No, Here it is. No lion will be there. Nor any ravenous beast, nor will they will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. You get the redeemed and rescued thing? You don't redeem yourself. And you don't rescue yourself. I mean, this is a beautiful picture of sanctification, yes, but also justification, the very foundation of sanctification. The redeemed will walk. Can they redeem themselves? No, it's impossible. Remember last week, right? We learned about redemption. What was redemption? That God willingly pays the debt of sin so that he could, if you would, buy us back. So that we would be declared not guilty, be free from sin's penalty and sin's power. And we said last week that redemption makes its final and complete picture in the person of Christ. Our substitute who gave his life for our sin. And there's not going to be then any fear. Do you see verse 8b, unclean and wicked fools? Verse 9, lions and tigers and bears. That's a loose translation. <laughs> Ferocious beast. <laughs> I was laughing a second ago because when my wife and I take walks, that's my biggest fear. <laughs> it's going to be some animal. <laughs> it's going to make me throw my wife in front of me. <laughs> but <laughs> I won't. Hopefully I won't. All that stuff's gone. Verse 9b, 10b, and they won't be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. So the king's highway, this highway of holiness, are for clean, holy people who have been made clean and made holy by God. Okay, that's the five pictures of salvation. The desert, so God takes the barrenness and, and the lifelessness. He regenerates. Because dead things can't make themselves come back to life. 
The fearful people, the demoralized, are given courage. Verse 4, because God will come to save. That's the point of their courage. They don't have to muster up courage. God will come to save. The physically disabled, right? We all kind of walk that way, don't we? Because we're still in the flesh. We all kind of have limps, past hurts that still, you know, are there, things like that. The physical will be, physically disabled will be healed. And then water will come. At once, gush forth, give life, never run out. And then there's that highway, so you're never going to be lost. Isn't that the great promise of Romans 8, 28 and 29? God takes everything, everything, bad, good things, bad and good things, and he works it for the good. A highway of holiness, a gift, a promise, and a, and a privilege now to be holy. Because that's who we are. That's who we are. Five pictures. Okay? So here's what I want you to do before we get to our last point. And I'll try to be brief here. Take those pictures personally. You cherish every one of those images. God, God gave us words, and words are awesome. And God gave us pictures, and pictures are helpful. So God communicates his goodness here through pictures, and, and it's no wonder that you can be joyful. I was lost, I was dead, I was broken, I'm afraid, so darn thirsty. That, that was me before I became a Christian. But God saved me, Right? And, and he keeps saving me, not like a redo of salvation, but he keeps reminding me that I am his, and he is mine. All through the Bible. Takes us to our final point, the promise. Verse 10, and the ransom of the Lord will return. I can't go too deep there. That's a picture of reconciliation. And the word reconciliation means take it back as it was before. That's why the ransom will return. I'm bringing it back as it was before. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. You know, hap, hap, happy day. Singing. Now, that's the first word. Now, think about it. Some of the happiest moments in my own personal life is when we as a family, either my family or my family family, when we would sing, usually on a Friday night. And the music would go and we'd sing away. None of us were very good. A few of us were good. And I wasn't good. But we'd sing away. My happiest moments in church, one of them are singing with you. We will enter Zion's gates with singing. And then, see the next phrase? And a crowning of everlasting joy. And the word for everlasting joy in the Hebrew is perpetual joy. No, no brownouts, no stopped, perpetual joy. And, and then think about the crowning scene for a bit. I mean, you think about it and it's like a picture, it's like a kid's book or like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or like The Wizard of Oz, Right? Let the joyous news be spread. The wicked of witch is dead. And then you get your crown of everlasting joy. Everlasting joy. Verse 10b. You will be overtaken by joy. And again, it's another Hebrew word that gives a picture. So just have a little fun with me. Imagine the, you know, the grumpiest person that you know that's a Christian. Now be nice. <laughs> and just imagine joy just overtaking them and reaching out to them, right? The, forever in the arms of joy. Both Jared and Lindsay, when they were babies, they didn't laugh a lot. <laughs> when they were little babies, and we were a little worried. But I asked my wife if I could tell the story. So here's Jared, five months old. Honestly, he, he hadn't laughed. 
And we were getting ready to go to my in-law's house, who I love, and we just put him on the bed, he's like grumpy little thing, and there he was. And, and all of a sudden, I'm grabbing toys to put in his bag so he, we can have them, and there's this parrot, the stuffed parrot's like that big, and I swing it by his eyes, and what does he do? <laughs> just starts laughing. And it was the first time we were like, we were stopping and like, put it, and he's laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. With the parrot, if you would, grab Jared's little head and heart and body and his mind and made him laugh. That's what's going to happen here. That's a picture of our salvation. But it's also a picture of the last day. Forever in the arms of joy. One more example, just, you know, when you're tickled by somebody, and you try not to laugh, what happens? You, you know, if you're human, you laugh. And then finally, sorrow and sadness fleeing away, be gone, right? Sorrow, sadness, gone. I, I wish I had more time on that one, but just, just picture that. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil, they love to bring in the sad, you should be sad, you should be sorrowful, what's wrong? And it's like, no, never again. Isaiah 35 comes to the unbeliever and says, what is wrong with God with the God that is pictured here. Do you understand that? This, this chapter comes to the unbeliever and says, tell me what problems you would have with this God. Why would, you, why would you not bow to this God? Why fight the beauty, this gift you desperately need? It's yours for the asking and repenting. And so I, in my mind, I picture the unbeliever saying, maybe this will help you when you evangelize. Well, what do I need to repent for? It's so simple. God, I'm sorry. What you desire, I cannot give. Jesus has Please forgive me. Forgive me, take me, I am yours. That is a squashed down version of a response to the gospel. I'm sorry, what you desire, holiness, I cannot give you. Jesus has, so please give him to me. Help me, forgive me, take me, I'm yours. Okay, that's to the unbeliever, but Isaiah comes to every believer here and he says, what is your need? The the God of Isaiah 35 says, what is your problem? Give it to me. What is your need? I can meet it. What is your burden? You just lay it on my shoulders. Loved ones, that is the way of the goel. Now, where did I come up with that from? That's the way of the redeemer. Remember, we learned that here this summer about the redeemer and Ruth. And who was her redeemer? Boaz, a picture of the gospel. And the goel, he bears it all, he pays it all, he does it all. Quoting from my Bible dictionary, the Redeemer would get her out of poverty, provide for her, buy back any property so that it could be kept in the family, pay all her debts, even marry her. If the person was sold into slavery, the Redeemer would buy back their freedom. It means the, the, the one being redeemed is the recipient. The Redeemer is the strong one. We are the weak one made strong. And so what I want you to know, in every situation of life, every place in life where there is a clear victory given to us by God, okay, that's one, or in those places that seem like a loss right now, it is not, because the Lord is present there. That's verse two. The Lord is present, and he's leading you in that perceived defeat to the last day when a loss will no more exist. A loss will no more exist. 
And remember his glory, verse 2, that's not abstract, that's a real thing. The glory of the Lord is with us, enjoyed by faith, guaranteed by God. And so this is how it would close. Everything that makes our journey in this world sometimes scary, sometimes the journey exposes our feebleness, our weakness, our sinfulness, the tension of living in the now and, and, and not quite at the what's coming. All those bad things, verse 10, please look at your Bible. It's going to take on legs and it's going to flee away. But there's more. Every pure delight that has slipped through your fingers on this earth is finally going to be yours. Some of us have quite a few. Every blown moment we ever had, we're never going to be able to blow again. Because in the new heaven and the new earth, there's never going to be disappointment. Because that is where God's completed purpose is. Everything that God had done in Christ, has done in Christ, will find its fruition and completion in heaven. And you know what? You take this home with you. Right now, because of Christ, if, if, if you're a Christian, and God sees you, he sees Christ. You may feel disappointed. Other people may tell you they, they are disappointed. He is not disappointed in you. How could he be? How could he be? For you are in Christ. And when he sees you, thank God, he sees Christ. So you take heart and you enjoy the joy of the Lord. It is yours because of Jesus. It is your strength. It is God's promise. It is his guarantee. God bless you. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for Isaiah chapter 35. Thank you for the promise of joy, everlasting joy. Instinctively, God, it wants me to sit down and open my Bible and think hard about joy and how that is a part of you and that you want everlasting joy to be in the new heaven and the new earth and, and everlasting joy to whatever extent we can in this body be enjoyed. Part of me wants to say, God, do you know who we are? Do you know what I do? Do you know what I am? But all those sentences get crushed by what the angel said to Joseph. You are to call him, give him the name Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. Thank you for that truth. Please, God, give this church grace and every church that bears the name of Christ grace to live in that joy and extend it to others, particularly God during this Christmas season. Thank you for this day. Please bless your people with all kinds of things that they need today to give it a joyous, happy day and a joyous, happy Christmas. For Jesus' sake, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening this week. 
If you were helped or encouraged by this sermon, please share it with others. For additional information, visit us online at westquestatchapel.com. There you'll find other resources to connect you to Christ in His Church. Also, we invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or our YouTube channel. We hope you join us again next week as we grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.